Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. John 13, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. John chapter 13, we're continuing through the book of John. We started this a while back and we're doing chapter by chapter. And here we come to John chapter 13. Prior to this moment, last weekend, we looked at John chapter 12, which was kind of a, a transition moment in the text where we went from looking back to Jesus first uh, in the last three years of ministry, and then we came to the final week. And today, this morning, we're coming to the final hours. The hour has come, and so we're coming to the final hours. This is the night before Christ would go to a cross. And so John chapter 13, let's read these first 11 verses together. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything, everything into his hands that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. A little bit of background into this passage. This is the event that took place just before the Jewish uh, festival, the Passover. And this is Jesus' final night. And so he pulls together his disciples and they go into the upper room and they have the last supper. And this is... Uh, very interesting. A lot of things happen at this dinner table. Right before this story of what we read here in John chapter 13, the disciples actually started an argument over who is the greatest. This is wild. This would be like, and, uh, like in today's terms, this would be like me and Quinn, the one and only all-star basketball player, if you know, you know. That's right. Um, it would be like me and Quinn in a room with Michael Jordan having a discussion of who is the goat. No, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Talk about an inability to read a room. I mean, you just don't even, do you know who's in the room? But they're having this argument about who is the greatest, which is absurd to me on many levels. First of all, Jesus is in the room. Second of all, I mean, look who's having the conversation about who's better in the room. I mean, third of all, like 
you have seen Jesus, your rabbi, your master, live this out time and time again by humbly serving others, by teaching on serving others. And at the end of three years, right before Jesus is going to go to a cross, I can, it's like training a person. Like if you're an engineer, it's like training them in engineering. And just before you're about to hand the baton to them to say like, hey, now you're going to take over and you're going to fulfill these tasks. So tomorrow I'm going to go. And they're like, what's a computer? You're like, oh. I can imagine in this moment, Jesus is just like, what, what, what is happening to these people? But they just didn't get it. I'm the best. No, you're the best. I'm the best. So Jesus tells them a little illustration. Prior to getting to this passage, he tells them a little illustration. And he says, let's just say you go to a restaurant and you're having dinner. I love how easy Jesus makes it. It's like he's talking to a six-year-old. Okay, so we go to dinner. And who's greater, the person that sits at the table or the one that serves you? And he's thinking what they would probably be thinking is that naturally the one that's seated at the table would be greater. He said, but I'm the server. I feel like that's such a mic drop moment for Jesus. <laughs> when he's, he says, and this is Luke 22, 27, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. This is like the ultimate undercover boss, you know, going to the restaurant. He's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually the one in charge here. This is also known in like business terms and more um, modern like interview type scenarios as the waiter rule. Do you know what this is? It's when CEOs, CEOs are uh, high executive or high executive companies are notorious for this. They do their interviews for other CEOs at restaurants. And the reason that they do it, and there's one in particular who was the, who was the former CEO of Charles Schwab, Schwab, but he would take his uh, interviews to the restaurant and he would show up early and tell them to get the order wrong. And so when they would sit down, they would, in this interview, they would get to see how this person relates to not only somebody getting it wrong, but relates to someone under them or in their mind might be inferior to them and see how, how well they interact with them. This is kind of the upside down principle that Jesus is teaching is, it's like, no, I'm the servant. I'm the one who serves. Then Jesus takes this principle after the uh, disciples weren't getting it about the greatest. He talks about this illustration. And I can imagine after he told this illustration about the table, the disciples were still like, yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. Because Jesus then takes it to another level and he gives an object lesson. And the object lesson is what we're looking at today. And this is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, something you need to understand about the common practice at the time, having a supper together wasn't like we're having a supper, where we go to a table and we hide our dirty, nasty feet under the table. And you can't really know what's going on above the table. It's because your feet are down there. They're encompassed and they're just encapsulated by sweaty socks, and then hopefully there's shoes on the outside of that as well. And so everything going on there is hidden, which I think is a blessing. There's a common practice <laughs> in the day though, whenever they would gather for dinner, there would be a little table on the floor and they would actually lay down like this and their feet would kind of be like this and they would wear sandals and it would be dusty, their feet would be dirty, sweaty, and now feet are pointed where? Pretty close to people's face, uncomfortably close. So as a common practice of the day, when you come in for dinner, they would wash your feet. This was not 
typically and very rarely ever done by the host. This was done by a servant or more oftentimes a Gentile slave. And they would come in, wash all of the feet, and then they would lay down and then they would enjoy dinner. A common practice that I believe is still really good for today, feet washing. It's good. We should keep doing that. But Jesus in this moment is not just washing feet. It is a demonstration of humility and servanthood. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. The title, title of today's message is Pick Up a Towel. Pick Up a Towel. And the big idea is true leadership is recognizing the needs of others and picking up the towel to serve. Uh, also, I like, would like to say that I believe that true leadership is servant leadership demonstrated by the greatest leader of all time, Jesus Christ. And we see it here in this passage. So let's unpack it together. First, uh, out of verses one and two, we're going to see the example of humi- humility motivated by love. Verse one, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now think about the people in the room and whose feet he was washing. Jesus, the God of the universe, who knows everything about everyone, is washing the disciples' feet, those that love him and those that don't. Those that are committed to him and those that will deny his very existence and that they had any association with him uh, the very next day. Those that were followers of him and believers in him and those that were not Judas. Notice how Jesus still washes all of their feet. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. Many of you wouldn't wash your own kids' feet. Nevertheless, a stranger, nevertheless, somebody that you know is going to betray you the next moment. But here we see Jesus' love, his unconditional love, being poured out through feet washing. And he serves with a motivation of love, not an ulterior motive. He wasn't trying to convince any of them from not doing any of these things in the future. This was out of a pure heart of love. Now, that is not always our motive today. Our motivation for serving people today could be that we hope to find favor with somebody. Now, we might not say that out loud. Who would? You know, I'm serving them because I really want them to like me or give me this job. Nobody would say that out loud. But the reality is that's why it's a motive. Motives are things you can't see. Motives are the things that are hidden. But many of us today maybe love and serve people around us and do the humble thing because we want to gain favor with them. Maybe we want something in return. And I think this is a very subtle one, but this is one that I really, really don't like. Maybe you're doing it just because it feels good to love and serve people. That's still the wrong motivation. That still is about you. Oh man, why are you, why are you doing this? Well, it just makes me feel good when I serve people. Oh, thank you. I feel really loved by that motivation for you serving me. Paul writes this. He says to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What Jesus is doing here in his love and his humility and in his action is he's showing an attitude. And that's the attitude of humility. And Paul is encouraging us to adopt that same attitude of that which is in Christ Jesus. True servanthood is grounded in genuine love, humility, and the motive is others, never self. Next, we see Jesus initiate the humble act. It says, so he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, 
and tied it around him. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry him with the towel. Think about this. Here, the disciples walk into the upper room where it is typically customary to wash the feet before you sit down and you have a meal and you do all of these things. You have an apron, you have a basin, you have a towel, you have water. It's in the room the whole time. Then you have Jesus, the God of the universe, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the disciples in the room. Up to this point in the story, nobody thinks to go grab the water and wash people's feet. But the hands that form the heavens and the earth walk over to grab the water, the basin, and the towel. Isaiah 48, 13 says, My own hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread the heavens. The God of the universe, whose hands form the very foundation of earth, and just with a swoop of the right hand formed all of the heavens, and they stood at attention is the only one in the room that walks over with those same hands and reaches down in the bucket to wash the disciples' feet. The hands that had all of the world in them, which the Father had put in there, is about to touch the dirt of humanity's feet. It says in John 3, 35, the Father loved the Son and had given all things into his hands. So not only is the, he the creator God who created everything and formed everything with his hands, but now he is the Son of God, which the Father had put all things in all of the world into his hands. And here, this God with both hands walks over, picks up a basin and grabs the towel and goes to do the lowliest job that nobody else in the room wanted to do. So, the demonstration, I am going to wash y'all's feet. For some of you, you thought that is disgusting. And though you say that, I couldn't agree more. Which is why I'm, I'm not going to do it right now. I'm not going to wash your feet. Some of you got really excited about that, and that terrifies me. And so, I, uh, <laughs> either way, either way, <clears throat> I want to demonstrate what happened here. Jesus puts on this apron. I think his apron looked much more manly than this. This is my wife's apron that I, I really have no idea how you put, I think I put it on wrong. <laughs> I think it's more so tangling me up than it is working at this very moment. I still think this is wrong. So, all right, so Jesus much more gracefully takes off his outer garment. He puts on the towel. And one by one, he grabs the basin with the water. I, I can imagine in this moment, if you're one of the disciples, I feel like even in this moment, you're feeling uncomfortable. Like whenever I said, I'm going to wash y'all's feet, and it made everyone uncomfortable except for maybe a few, um, then I can imagine they started feeling comfortable as well. Like, no, hold on, this, this can't be right. He, this isn't his job. 
Now, it's not necessarily my job either, but it's for sure not his job. Then Jesus gets down, grabs the towel, puts it in the water, and says, all right, first up. And the way that they would lay down, Jesus stoops all the way down and then begins to wash their disgusting feet. One at a time. Now, he gets to one of his disciples. I, I'm going to choke myself getting this thing <laughs> off. All right, here we go. Hey. Gets to one of his disciples and he says, no, you can't, you can't do this. But what he misunderstood was what, he was what Jesus was trying to teach him. That if you're going to be a leader, instead of looking for the title, which is what they were doing, who's the greatest, you should be picking up a towel. But I'm the boss. But I'm the leader. Well, you're missing the point. You should be picking up a towel and becoming of the lowest and serving. We love the title, but we neglect the towel. Very practically, if you're a boss in the room and servanthood and loving and serving those that are underneath you, if that's not the case, then unfortunately, the people underneath you are not going to feel seen, known, or loved. But as a boss, you pick up the towel. Have you ever worked for a boss that was not serving, servant-minded, servant-hearted? It's not fun. I have. But have you worked for one that is? It's amazing. You would do anything for that boss. If you're a boss, pick up a towel, serve your team. If you're on serve team here at the church, Pick up an instrument, pick up a broom, or pick out the trash, but serve your co-laborers. If you're an employee, pick up a towel and serve your co-workers. If you're a friend, pick up a towel and serve your friends. Call them. How can I serve you? I got several text messages a day just saying, how can I serve you? And I tried to send out several text messages. Hey, how can I serve you? How can I pray for you? It's not always something there, but man, how good does it feel to be But even just offer that to people just to say, hey, like, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to be your friend. Christian, pick up a towel and serve your neighbor. Father, mother, pick up a towel and serve your kids. And husband, wife, pick up a towel and serve your spouse. Pick up a towel. When was the last time you thought about a towel? Or if the towel was there, it's just like, no, you pick it up. No, no, this is your job. No, you pick up the towel. No. You're missing the point. There's a, there's a thing in my family called the manual squat. Uh, I'm going to demonstrate it for you in these non-stretchy pants that I did not think about this. Look at it there. Look at there. Now, the reality is this squat for me feels just as natural as standing up. Sometimes I would rather squat like this than even stand up. I mean, this is just, I could fall asleep in this position. I'm that, it's the manual squat. It's natural for me. Now, one of my sons, who will go unnamed, <laughs> is really strong. His quads are bigger than my waist, and he's just strong. 
And naturally, the manual squat is a little bit more of a challenge. It's a little more unnatural for the manual squat. So in order to complete the manual squat and carry on the legacy, he practices the manual squat, stretching the muscles, the hammies, the quads. And little by little, he's getting there. So much so that even just last week, I saw him walk in a manual squat. <laughs> yes, it looks something like this. It was amazing. But he had completed officially the manual squat. Now, for me, it's natural. I don't even have to think about it. I, I think I was squatting like that coming out of the womb. Like, it's that natural for me. That is for some of you serving. It, it really is. For some of you, you're like, I'm service-hearted. It's, it's my natural bent to want to serve others around me. But for others of you, it's very unnatural. And so you have to work hard at it. You have to practice it. You have to stretch, a little, stretch that muscle a little, little bit. My challenge is to start now, start small, stay faithful. Next, we see Peter. Peter is a funny one, man. I love Simon Peter. In uh, 6 through 7, this is a transition. Now, first we looked at the example, and that's humility. And then next is our response, which is holiness. And we have a transition here in verse 6 that turns to Simon Peter in the foot washing ceremony here. It says this. He said, he came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing right now, you don't realize, but after you will understand Peter says, you will never, it's a double negative here, but he says, never, no, never. Like, you, this, is, this is not even in the equation of anything you're ever going to do for me. It's never going to happen. You're never going to wash my feet. Never. Uh, this, is, this is classic Peter. You know, whenever uh, there's a, a, a phrase, an idiom, um, it's ready, aim, fire. You've heard this before? Ready? Aim, fire. Peter's more of like a fire, aim, ready kind of guy. <laughs> like historically throughout scripture, he just is like, I, I don't need all the information, I'm in. Or out, I don't know, I don't care, but either way, I'm 100% on whatever decision I make. And this is him. And you're never going to do this, no, never, don't even think about it, it's not going to happen. Uh, Peter jumping out of the boat. Peter going to defend Jesus and trying to cut a guy's head off, cuts his ear off. This is classic Peter. And I love him for it. He's trying to argue with Jesus of why this is never going to happen. And like I said earlier, it's, it's, it's strange to me that Peter was arguing so much about this that it's not going to be Jesus. But notice Peter isn't offering either. It's not going to be Jesus. It's not even necessarily going to be Peter. And I don't know who's going to do it, but somebody's going to make this foot washing happen. Peter, in this moment, is not taking the responsibility on himself to do the task, but he's also not allowing God to do it either. This is not a noble or humble response. There's an interesting principle that I believe we can learn from Peter here, and that is it is not humble to not receive help. It's not humble to not receive help, but it's actually prideful. Now, there's some extremes here that I don't want us to take based on this principle. 
Don't take the mindset of, why aren't you serving me? And this makes everything about you and causes you to minimize every moment. Why aren't, why aren't people serving me? Why, where? Somebody should wash my feet. Which is, in part, some of the mindset of Peter. Somebody should, but it shouldn't be you. But we should take the, on the attitude of Christ, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Hey, look, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. So I'm not looking around saying, why isn't everybody serving me? Why, isn't, why aren't they meeting my needs? That's the, that's the wrong mindset. That's a wrong extreme. But then there's another uh, extreme. Nobody's going to serve me. But this also makes everything about you. And it forces you to miss opportunities that could be a blessing in your life. Now, this is a trap I can easily fall into. Anybody that works specifically in kind of like a hospitality industry or a service type industry, or career, anything like that, for those of you in the room, this is you. You have a hard time receiving help from people. No, I'm the giver. Listen, that's great. Be a servant-minded person. Also, receive help when it's offered to you. How, how poor of a community would we have if everybody took on that mindset that nobody serves me? That would be very frustrating. So lead out by example. Don't expect it, but be humble and grateful when it comes. Wow, thank you. Oh, you don't deserve this. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. What a blessing. Uh, a statement that used to be very common in my home and in Jess's home that our parents would say is, don't rob people a blessing. Don't take it for granted and don't expect it but also don't rob people if they want to love and if they want to serve you. Simon Sinek was speaking on the, uh, is an author, business coach. He was speaking on the subject on people overcoming tremendous obstacles in their life. And in this interview, they were asking him, you know, what, are, what, what is like one principle that you've learned that have really helped people overcome obstacles in their life? And he said, the single greatest lesson I have learned in my career that profoundly changed my life that comes right after the realization or articulation of why. I learned how to ask for help, and I learned how to accept it when it was offered. Helping someone is a team sport. Now, the good news is, as we study and look at this passage specifically on Peter, who said, you're not, you're not going to do this to me. He learned a very valuable lesson, and he, I believe that he recounts it in 1 Peter 5.5. He, he said, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourself in humility. Now, I don't know for sure, but I can imagine that this idea of clothe yourself was in Peter's mind as he penned this, as Jesus in the room at the Last Supper clothed himself with the lowest of positions and stooped down to wash his feet. And he learned a very valuable lesson that day. Next, uh, we see that we should want all that Jesus has to offer. He goes from no, never, it's never going to happen. In verse 8 9, he says, uh, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me, meaning you have no participation in the kingdom that I'm a part of. Simon said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Again, he's all in on whatever he should be doing. Okay, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I take it back. 
wash me totally. And again, he's kind of missing the point there. There's a few application points that I want to draw from this. The first is that when Jesus is offering you a blessing, don't reject it. Take all of it. Yes, Jesus. I'm all in. You want to wash me. You want to wash my feet. I receive it. Don't shortchange Jesus on the blessing that he wants to give to you. Next is interesting. He's saying, okay, don't wash my feet. Okay, wash my feet. Now wash all of me. My head, my hands down to my feet. It's interesting because Jesus is saying, no, you're clean, just your feet. Like you're, fo- you're, you're following me, but there is still a part of you that's dirty. Twofold principle here. One, some of you think, I just want to give Jesus my clean parts, not my dirty feet. Like, sure, he can clean that up, but if you knew what I was really like, I don't think that he could clean that up. If you knew what really was going on in my life, the thoughts that I have, the doubt that I have, the frustration, the anger, if you knew what I said to my spouse, if you knew all of this, he could not clean that up. Jesus is saying, ah, actually, yeah, I can. Clean all of you. And then another principle there is, he says, no, you are clean, but your feet are still dirty. And I believe that's another principle for a lot of us is, You're in the family of God, you're clean, but in the walk of life, you get dirty and you need Jesus to clean you up. Not save you again. You're saved, you're sanctified, which is the distinction that he's drawing here between Simon Peter and Judas. You're saved, Peter, You're, you're clean, but not all of you, Judas. But there's some clean house that needs to happen and Jesus wants to do that for you. And that's, that's our response, receiving, receiving that cleansing from Jesus. And then finally, teach by example. It says in verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? In verse 15, he says, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Now, what did Jesus have in mind? Some people have taken this and they have included uh, in their doctrinal statements as a ordinance or as a sacrament of the faith. They have included a foot washing ceremony, kind of like the baptism, like there would then be three. There's the baptism, the Lord's Supper, and then there's foot washing as a ceremony. Some have included that. Uh, Some have added that into their uh, ritual of the Mondri Thursday service, uh, where they wash each other's feet. But what I find even interesting about the text, Jesus is not emphasizing as much what he did, but as he did. When he says, you should do as I have done for you. You see, this was a symbolic revelation from the Father that Jesus is trying to instill in his disciples. The same revelation that humility and a humble service before God is what is required. And that the disciples are to pass these teachings on, both in word and in their actions. These are two simple statements that I hope you can remember. I highly encourage you to write these down, memorize them. If you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. And a second is, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you.
Take the seat of humility. Remember, I was telling you that Jesus had taught on this before. He not only exemplified it, but he had taught on it before. In a, in a previous story in Luke chapter 14, Jesus actually taught them on the principle of humility. And this is a beautiful story. Jesus was telling them of a story of a person who goes to a wedding banquet. And he's telling them, uh, when you go to a wedding banquet, if you sit at the seat of honor or the distinguished guests, let's just say somebody more distinguished than you shows up to the wedding and the host has to say, hey, actually, will you go down to the end of the table? Said, if this happens, then you will be embarrassed and you'll be humiliated before everybody. But instead, whenever you go to a wedding, take the lowliest seat. And so whenever the host comes to you and says, actually, I want you to sit here, then you will be honored in the presence of everyone. He ends by saying, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Did you hear that? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pick up a towel. Pick up a towel. Everyone wants the title of leadership. Not everybody can handle the weight of leadership. If you step into leadership with a very prideful mentality, I can promise you it is going to end in destruction. How can I foretell that in your life? Because it's what the Bible says. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. I always know whenever I meet somebody where every statement is about them, every story comes back to them, wherever they're demeaning somebody else to make themselves look better or where they're bragging about their accomplishments, I, meet, I am automatically thinking, man, that's great. This is not going to end well for you. It's the only time I can be 100% prophetic in that moment is pride always ends in destruction 100% of the time. But if you take the example as Paul is encouraging us and you adopt that attitude of Christ, it says that you will be honored. That's why I like to think of humility as the secret sauce to God's supernatural power in your life. Because James 4.10 Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. No, you got to grind your way to the top. You got to fight your way to the top. You got to step on people to get up. You're wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches. No, 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 no. You actually get low. And then at the right time, you don't have to exalt yourself. Christ exalt you. And when Christ exalt you, nothing can take you out. I didn't get here on my own. Christ got me here. Man, how did you do it? I didn't. God did. God did it. And he gets all the glory for it. And then finally, he gives us a promise, gives us an encouragement here in 16 and 17. It says, truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Some other translations say you are happy and highly favored. Hey, you are blessed, happy, and highly favored if you humble yourself, if you bring yourself low. Take the lowliest position. Can you imagine a world when some, where, where people walk in and say, what's the job nobody wants? I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill it. That never happens. But what if it did? 
What if you took the low road and you allowed God to exalt you? Bible says you will be blessed. Be a blessing. Don't rob people of a blessing. Serve others humbly and thankfully. Receive service from others and you will be blessed, happy, and highly favored. Pick up the towel. I want to read you a passage out of uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. This is Paul writing what Jesus so beautifully illustrated. He says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come up as when he had come, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is some radical way of living. Humble yourself, and God will exalt you. Get low. And God will take you high. So what in your life, very practically, what in your life do you need to get low? And how in your life can you humbly serve? Where have you placed yourself higher than you should? Where your title is priority in your life rather than the towel. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.